again, everybody. Welcome to a new exciting edition of the Chicago Bullseye. It's been far too long since I've uh, done this uh, this pod, and more importantly, it's been far too long since we've done it with the basketball historian Tim Gallagher. How you doing, my friend? Hi, Fred. I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, greetings from the West Coast. Tim, it's awesome to talk to you. You're a basketball savant. Every time I speak with you, I learn something new about the game. I'm really eager to hear your opinion, number one so far, on what you've seen from the beloved Bull. But more importantly, the game last night, which unfortunately was a loss to the Blazers, but you know, overall, big picture, we still got to be pretty happy with the 10-5 and record. Yes, and then you got to remind yourself, too, that there's two starters that are out, right, with Vucevic and Patrick Williams, right, two right. very key players, right? So, you know, how many teams that are going to lose two of their five starters and go out on a West Coast road trip and, you know, not struggle, right, which the Bulls, you know, have, have looked pretty good. Uh, and, uh, you know, that game was certainly winnable last night. Um, and, and really, you know, I'm excited overall about the roster and, yeah, I'd say from the recent season Bulls players, and obviously they've been a little disappointing in terms of the end results of the teams the last few years, but as I shared with you, I missed Markinen and Gafford. I think those are the two guys that uh, you know I somehow wish were still in the Bulls uniform, but overall, I, you know, I know obviously with cap reasons and a lot of other issues, uh, you, know, it, you can't keep everybody that you ideally want, but you know, I love the way the roster is, is playing together and and kind of my only knock on some of these late game crunch time possessions, and not only the final shot, but I think more importantly, the final shot. And I know Levine had the final shot on that three, but I was thinking more of the possession before where DeRozan lost his balance and, um, you know, and recovered and was able to at least get a shot off. But um, I'm more of a proponent of, of Levine having the ball in his hands at the end possessions, just because I think he has a little more, uh, explosiveness, right? And and I see DeRozan more as a, kind of like a methodical break you down. You know, he's highly effective at doing it, you know, kind of like a Paul Pierce in his prime, right? Kind of, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, old school playground, you know, back my way down and I'm going to, you know, get you off your feet or, you know, be clever enough to to get something done on a, on a short clock. But uh, I think in some cases, DeRozan just doesn't have that burst or bounce like Levine does. And I think you kind of need that just for scoring options at the end of a game. And I, I'm not in any way knocking DeRozan. I think he looks fantastic. He looks lighter on his feet somehow more, you know, more fluid, you know, at this stage of his career, it's hard to imagine that, right? He, yeah. he looks better than ever to me. And, and obviously he's perfected his craft right uh, over the years uh, in, in the best ways. But, uh, that's just my two cents on end of game possessions, and uh, you know, yeah. I, 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 and I don't know that DeRozan, you know, would eagerly, you know, let Zach kind of take over at the end. But that, that's just my my sense on a few late game observations. So this is a topic I brought up several months ago, which I think is you know extremely important. Who's going to be the primary ball handler down the stretch of close games? And you know, I I disagree with you for this reason. It's not that Levine is a I don't think he's less effective. Well, number one, I trust, I think DeRozan's a slightly better passer. I think he's a better facilitator with the ball than, than Levine is. But more importantly, Levine's just much better off ball. He's a much better shooter. And so that I think when the Bulls are optimized offensively, it's with the ball in DeRozan's hands. 
as opposed to Levine. And, you know, both guys are going to shoot at the free throw line at an extremely high level, so it's a good problem to have. It's going to be interesting to see as we go down, as we get closer to the playoffs, as we go throughout the season, you know, who gets the majority of those minutes with the ball in their hands. I tell you what, the way Lonzo Ball has been looking, I wouldn't be uh i wouldn't object to having him with it especially if he's going to attack the rim as he has which much better uh frequency in the last few games yes and uh interesting point and i know we're going to get to lonzo in more detail in a second but uh let's just say one of my bulls insiders uh the one concern they had about lonzo is that he wasn't getting to the line enough so i think you're going to see him getting to the basket more i don't think that's any big secret but you know one of the metrics that you know that I know there was some concern in the front office about was him uh, being Lonzo, not getting enough free throws. And so I think some of that penetration and, and getting to the rim is uh, not coincidental. And um, yeah, and I totally trust Lonzo. Uh, and, and back to the DeRozan or Levine, I mean, it's a very good problem to have, right? Both of those guys are top tier active players, you know, you know, potentially headed to the Hall of Fame, you know, level kind of careers if they stay on the path that they're on, right? So mm-hmm. a good problem to have to, to choose between those two. But uh, I think overall Lonzo's, the Lonzo effect, I'll call it, right? It just it seems like there's an extra spring in everybody's step. And, and playing with him just does that. And I've seen it since he was in high school, which I'll, I'll elaborate on in a minute. Yeah, I think Lonzo's reluctance to get to the rim and draw fouls before had a lot to do with his inability to hit free throws for a large part of his career. I mean, you see that with Ben Simmons and guys who can't hit free throws are less reluctant to go to the rim and get fouled. And I think now that he's improved that tremendously, uh, I I think you'll hopefully start to see him attack the rim a little bit more reckless abandon. I think we're starting to see that. Yes. Yep, for sure. I want to get into Lonzo because, you know, he's a guy I – I didn't believe in for a long time just because his free throw percentage was so poor. I just don't believe you can have a point guard who's going to be handling the ball down the stretch shooting at a 50% rate, you know, like Shaq. It's just going to lead to major issues or it's going to lead to what you kind of see a little bit in Philadelphia with Ben Simmons where he can't really handle the ball down the stretch for that reason. But he improved so much from the free throw line under Fred Vinson in uh, in uh, New Orleans that, you know, that concern went out the window and now we're really seeing something special, I think, for uh, you know large swaths of this season so far. You've always been a believer in Lonzo Ball, and you've been a big reason why I've been converted. Let's go a little bit into the history, your history with Lonzo Ball, and and why don't you share with the listeners, you know, what what are the things that really make him special? What makes him different? Sure. Well, the first time I laid eyes on him, he was a sophomore at Chino Hills High School, so his brother Leangelo, who's in the G League right now, uh, was a freshman playing varsity on that team. Lamelo was just some uh, kid, you know, scrambling around up in the bleachers. Uh, but, you know, people <laughs> knew, you know, no, noticed him, but, uh, but you know, not playing yet. Um, I'm surprised LeVar couldn't figure out a way to get an eighth grader onto the varsity, but uh, <laughs> they, they, they didn't figure that out quite yet when I first saw them. But, um, yeah, this was at the Torrey Pines Holiday Classic, which – uh, has been going on for decades. And, and actually that tournament is where I've laid my eyes on some legends for the first time. Uh, DeRozan, actually, I saw play first there. Drew Holiday, uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, those type of players. And even going way back to like Stephon Marbury. But um, wow. but anyway, um, so 
Lonzo, was, I think at the time he was rated like a top 35 sophomore in the country for whatever those ratings are worth. So, you know, a, a, you know, a high level prospect, but, you know, only a sophomore and, um, you know, uh, intriguing enough. And, you know, I generally would go to see some of the top players in games anyway. So I'm telling you, after a few possessions, I'm not talking quarters. <laughs> I'm saying after a few possessions, I was absolutely blown away. And, and, uh, and what I meant, mean by that is his instincts and court vision, you know, I noticed right you know, that quickly, it, it was unlike many players I've ever seen in the history of watching basketball for over 50 years. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like Magic Johnson, Jason Kidd level court awareness and, and, and vision. And, and so uh, it was probably with, within a few minutes in the first quarter, he chased down a uh, a loose ball uh, in the corner on the defensive end, chased it down the corner, jumped in the air, you know, off one foot with his back to the distant uh, goal, turned in midair through a one-handed length of the court pass to his brother in stride for a layup. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it hit me that I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like that ever, <laughs> you know, like at, at any game, at any level, any time. Right. And, and that was within, again, five minutes of seeing him play. So that continued, and these highlights are, uh, you can find them on YouTube. I might even have sent them to you back back at some point in time. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I immediately started texting you know, my father-in-law, a couple of my buddies. I'm saying, you, you need to clear your calendar the next two nights and come down and see what I'm seeing here. <laughs> I yeah. mean, this is, you know, this is like, you know, what, I, what I've described to people is he does, he does a lot of things that are kind of laugh out loud moments, right? Just like that play, you know, a couple of games ago, when uh, oh, Levine, Caru- Caru- when Caru- yeah, yeah, when Caruso, yeah. you know, picked up the loose ball on the ground, they got it to Lonzo, and he throws the baseball pass to Levine for the first time. I mean, you just, you know, how can you not laugh out loud when you see that? Like it's, it's just joyful, right? And um, and so, you know, obviously, I watched him the next the tournament. You know, it's a three day tournament, and so I, I saw him play the next two games, and you know, it. it certainly didn't disappoint at all. And then, um, you know, I was able to see him then a few other times throughout his high school career, although, you know, the word kind of spread and, you know, I think most people know about the Chino Hills deal. They, you know, the next year they were 35 and 0 and won, you know, won the state and, you know, I think the number one ranked high school team in the country. So it was, you know, the word got out, right. So unless they were playing in a large venue, it was, it was hard to go see them play because it was just a tough ticket. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, kind of to cap off his senior year, I saw him play in Orange County in a, a Ball is Life uh, all-star game. You know, top high school players from all over the country. I think Miles Bridges was in that game, T.J. Leaf, who was his teammate at UCLA, you know, the following year, and uh, a number of other you know names that all the listeners would know that are now NBA players or, or um you know, would, would be well-known. And again, in that game, I, don't, I forget his exact statistics, but he, he maybe only had you know, six or eight points, but he was in contention for the MVP just because of his passing and his the, the magic that was in the building because of him. But, uh, but yeah, just the, the key characteristics, I think, are, are those instincts and court vision. And um, I, I gave his mom a, an article about him. Uh, well, it, you know, I thought it, it described Lonzo, but an article that I'd read years ago, and you know what a basketball historian I am, and I had read a story about the 1973 Providence team, which it, 
the listeners can find it online. It's it was written by a, a guy named Charles Pierce, who's an excellent sports writer, and it's called and it was through Grantland, you know, the former uh, Simmons, yeah, uh, Bill Simmons ESPN site. platform, yeah, yeah. And the article is called "Moments of Glad Grace," and it was about the '73 Providence team that had Marvin Badney's Barnes and Ernie De Gregorio, and uh, I, I printed it out because I wanted to read this because when I saw Lonzo play. It, this article had been kind of etched in my mind. I, I thought this describes exactly how the game is for Lonzo. And so this is a little excerpt of it. And it's describing Ernie D. Gregorio, which again, the listeners can figure out who he was, but former NBA rookie of the year, a real clever point guard and passer and ball handler in the seventies. But it says, uh, Ernie was the lineal heir of Bob Cousy. Pete Maravich had a lot of the same skills, but he was taller and a better shooter than D. Gregorio or Cousy. He, meaning Ernie, played the full court. There wasn't a sliver of daylight through which he couldn't thread a pass. The geometry of the game was different for him. He saw angles, acute and oblique, that nobody else saw because they were there only for a second, and then they were gone. His eccentricity was all in his play. The physical mathematics of his game were open only to his unique solutions. And so when I read that, I said, that is Lonzo. Yeah, and so I, I I explained it to Tina like at halftime at the game. Lavar was busy, you know, talking to somebody else. But I said, "Hey, I've been watching them since sophomore Chino Hills, uh, Tory Pines. I'm totally getting what's going on out there, <laughs> and I've not seen a lot of it. You know, having followed the game for many decades, so just know that I'm totally taking this all in and appreciating every bit of it. So, you know, that was kind of the conclusion of his high school career." Uh, I was fortunate that he stayed out west at UCLA and uh, and just played the one season there. But you know, the other thing, though, some some of the critics were, were saying his style. They're saying, you know, at high school even they were saying, well, he's not going to be able to do this against high, the highest level competition of high school players or highest level competition of college players. And then of course it same knock on him as he got to the NBA level. But as you see, he's doing it right. He's throwing those you know three quarter length you know, baseball passes to guys in stride. And, and plus he does little simple things. He makes things look simple that aren't. I'm, I'm talking inbounds passes and just entry passes. And, you know, you see it every game. And, and, and he makes it look so much easier than it is that a casual fan probably isn't even noticing. Tim, that was fantastic stuff. And, I, you know, one guy who I always felt was the master of geometry in terms of passing was uh, Rondo. I really loved his ability to find really unique passes but i gotta agree with you i think you know ball he's at another yes. level he just is he's, he's better and uh overall his shooting has improved so much that i don't i really think it's exciting to to contemplate that this guy could be like an all-star for multiple years going forward and not just kind of like a role-playing guard you know what i mean i think that was kind of like what people were thinking oh he's going to be a really solid connector what he's starting to show now starting to make me think this guy could be an all-star right well and i never lost faith in him although in my circle of friends and basketball friends you know i definitely got some crooked looks right when you know he, he always until now had a funky release on his shot his shooting percentages like you mentioned especially at the line were concerning um although i just thought he's too skilled and smart to not correct things it, you know, but as you mentioned from uh working with uh, the player development 
uh, Coach Vincent at uh, at the Pelicans that you know it, it takes a little bit of time, right? Even for someone as great as him, <laughs> as, as great as Lonzo, right? It, it doesn't happen, you know, at the snap of a finger. So um, I, I'm thrilled that he's gotten his mechanics straightened out and and it's resulting in success as well. I never doubted that he was going to be a, a valuable player on a team uh, in terms of just. Um, unselfishness and court vision and instincts and and just how much fun he is to play with right I, I looked so the one year he went to UCLA I was lucky to get to quite a few games that year because I, I kind of knew what was up and I didn't expect him to play for more than a season uh, and because he was going to go to the league but yeah. I looked the year before Lonzo got to UCLA they were 15 and 17 so you know kind of a rare bad losing season for UCLA the season Lonzo was there, they were 31-5. and five. He led the nation in assists. They got to the Sweet 16 and got beat by Kentucky. O'Dear and Fox went off. and you know, Not, not a, a loss to be embarrassed of by any means, but you know, kind of took the program back to, to heights you know, that it hadn't been in a while. And his, the other guys that played with him, and that's what I mean, he's so fun to play with. You know, they probably never had more fun playing basketball in their life. You know, T.J. Leaf was there, Thomas Welsh, um, Aaron Holiday, Bryce Alford, Isaac Hamilton. So those guys all had career years, pretty much. Aaron Holiday um, went on and, and did some good things after Alonzo left. But basically all those other guys never were better than they were playing with Lonzo. Yeah. And so, you know, and I think that, again, is held true you know, the, the Lakers situation, you know, it's, it seemed almost too good to be true, right? He's back in L.A., but there was, you and I have discussed this a little bit before. I, I think there was a lot of dysfunction in the Laker front office there and, and team chemistry. And, um, and and I think the expectations were so high for him right out of the gate. And, and some of those were self-inflicted with, you know, the way his dad was bellowing about so much. But, you know, if you look back, I mean, the Lakers ended up firing Magic Johnson, right? That's how dysfunctional the, the Lakers organization was at the time. So I don't know if you can really put it all on Lonzo's shoulders that, uh, you know, that um, he, he wasn't better than he was. But um, but then that in New Orleans, you know, I, if I was Zion's agent, I would have found a way to make sure Lonzo stayed there because, well, Zion's a whole other story for another day, right? And who knows how often he'll be on the court from now on and how healthy he'll stay and how effective he'll be. But playing with Lonzo has to give you, you know, six to ten points a game if you're somebody like Zion, you know, with just the gift-wrapped <laughs> delivery passes that he gives you, right? And, uh, you know, just how easy he makes the game. So it'll be interesting to see how Zion plays post-Lonzo. No, no doubt. Uh, I can't thank you enough with your time. One last big question before uh, we 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 uh, uh, we go into um, go our separate ways. A lot of discussion about, from my perspective, the Bulls are a big short. You know, with the injury to Williams, if he's going to be out all year, he was the one guy that you could kind of throw. You know, I wasn't super high on him, but you could at least put him on you know two hundred twenty five to two hundred fifty pound power forward slash centers and kind of expect decent results. Yes. With, Vuf- with Vucevic out, I, you, know, you really have Tony Bradley, and that's it, and legit big men who can actually guard somebody. You know, like it's – I love uh, Derek Jones Jr. I've really been impressed with what Javante Green has been able to bring as, you know, as a basically a minimum contract type of guy. 
But these yes. guys are 205 pounds soaking wet. They're not going to be able to handle, like they weren't last night, able to handle uh, Nance Jr., and they're not going to be able to handle the bigs that we're going to have to go through in order to get to the finals with Giannis and in the Bucks front line, um, you know the the Sixers front line, especially the Nick and even the Knicks front line. There's some big front lines in the East that you're going to have to get by. This is a big yes. concern for me. Do you agree this should be a concern and be addressed via trade, or do you feel like you know what we should just run, keep on going small? Um. Well, obviously, if Vucevic and Williams get back and are healthy and can stay healthy, that you know that'll help a lot. But yeah, I, I don't have it right at my fingertips. But I saw a list of all the unsigned players, and and there were some names on there that you know that might be worth a, a look. And uh, yeah, to just have another big body. And I have to say, Bradley's been better than I expected uh, in terms of what his contribution has been, and you know, very I'd say very serviceable. Um, but uh, yeah, it might be worth it, even if it's a you know a short term fix until everybody's healthy, to have a, another big body that uh, you know isn't necessarily going to be a difference maker, but can just kind of you know keep keep things uh, uh, in check uh, for the time being. So yeah, Taj Gibson, say- like a, a type like that who's just got some size to him, who's can guard fours and fives. Every every guy they have is a who plays a power forward position with the exception of Bradley, who can occasionally play it, he's really a center, is more of a 3-4. You know, a guy who's going to slide over and play small forward position. They don't have anybody that can be the 4-5 outside of Vooch and Bradley, effectively. Right. You know. It's a big right. problem. No, you're, you're right. And I think there's guys out there, um, and it seems like, you know, Karnishvish has been pretty shrewd in, in terms of how he's constructing the roster, so I'm, I'm wondering if, if there's not somebody out there. Um, and, again, I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at uh, – who's out there and maybe you know, text you with a few names that I think might be worth a close look. You know, the other player I would say don't sleep on, and I know he's uh, only in, in Windy City right now, but is Ethan Thompson. You know, you've heard me talk about him for a while, yep. even, you know, back before the draft. And um, and so, I mean, in, in my view, he could even give you a little more than somebody like a Troy Brown on the roster, in, in my opinion. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I know that's we're, – we're getting down, you know, pretty deep on the roster but a versatile player like thompson that you know is, is probably the way the bulls have been playing is a four position player right he's uh, he's not going to play the five but i think he could play everything else i mean look what caruso and uh and lonzo have been doing i mean they're guarding fours and fives sometimes and you know obviously some of it's off switches but also some of it's on just going small and that's how it is yeah. uh but you know th- those are not good long-term solutions though yeah Tim, it's always great to talk to you, my friend. I'm looking forward to many more of these conversations throughout this upcoming season. Still one of the best basketball minds I've ever met. Uh, More importantly, one of the best shooters, arguably the best shooter I've ever seen in person. I still can't (laughs) believe that horse match we had. I hadn't lost in about 20 years, and I swear to God, (laughs) I think you hit about, had to be 50 shots in a row. I I can't recall. It was just insane, Tim. Insane. Well, it was it was sure fun being on that court with you, and uh, yeah. yeah, that was a, that was a blast being out there and getting some shots up, and uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> we can do it again someday. Hopefully, hopefully, I was very confident that day because I'd been playing quite a bit, and uh, I was like, I'm going to teach this guy a thing or two about the game, and boy, oh boy, was I wrong about that. I learned something about you. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that was still I still think about that day occasionally, like the best shooting display I've ever seen. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I, I'm flattered, and uh, I, I think you're you're overstating it a bit, but thank you for the kind words and a lot of a lot of hours in the driveway, and I and I still haven't found anything that kind of helps uh, clear my mind than putting on the driveway floodlight and getting out and putting some shots up in the driveway court even today. So I agree with um, you. I am the same way, Tim. It's so funny you mentioned that. Like I think about it when I want to just clear my head, I go out in the backyard and I shoot, and it's it's like uh, therapeutic. It's a uh, Every time you hit a shot, it's a little, you know, affirmation of, of greatness uh, is the way I like yes. to put it. <laughs> people, people might laugh at that, but that's the way I feel about it. And it's, uh, I love it. You know, I just love doing it too. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the beauty of that. the game, man, the game we love. Yep. Amen. Tim, always good to talk to you, my friend. Hey, man, have a good one. And happy Thanksgiving if I don't talk to you before then. You too, Fred. All the best to you and your family and to all the listeners. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. See ya. I want to shout out and thank Yaya's Restaurant in Hinsdale. Voted Best Breakfast in Hinsdale by Hinsdale Magazine. Dimitros is a great friend of the Bullseye. Doug Tonus and I may be doing a breakfast pod there sometime in the next few months. He's a great guy, great restaurant. Check them out. Tell them see Red Fred. Said hi. And now on to the second part of the show, the Eye on the Competition, a discussion with Jeff Tyree, Bucks expert, discussing our greatest competitor in the Central Division the Milwaukee Bucks. Enjoy the show. Jeff, thanks a lot for joining us. And it's not often I get to talk to an expert on some of the competitors in our division. And obviously the big one is the Milwaukee Bucks. Most of the Bucks fans I know are really nothing but converted Packer fans who try to act like they, <laughs> right. they're experts on the team, but you clearly are. So I'd like to start out with right now, what is up with the Bucks? Why are they not performing to their capabilities? And are you at all concerned as a as a Bucks fan. Yeah, so the reason I'm not concerned is because I'm not concerned because I know the NBA. It's such a long season, and I think the real reason that they're struggling right now is just injuries. I mean, people are out. You had Middleton and Drew Holiday that were banged up to start the season. Um, Bobby Portis was out, huge guy off the bench, six-man, you know, energy guy. He's back now, helps a little bit. Um, DiFincenzo still been out. So you, you look at the depth right now that they haven't had, and, and I think that's really impacting them. And plus, you know, the, you combine that with the fact that every night they're going, their opponent's going against the NBA champion. Yeah. So you bringing have, their A game. You got everybody bringing their A game. You got a bunch of guys out to start the season. And I really think that that's just a matter of time before they're back at full strength. And I think they're going to be even better than they were last year because of the pickups they made in Grayson Allen. Got Grayson with a sharp shooting. I mean, he had, I think he had four threes or four or five threes the other night. The guy has a really good head for basketball. I know people don't like Grayson Allen because of his days at Duke. Exactly. Yeah, and he's a cheap shot. Cheap shot guy, Duke, whatever. So, like, I think when he first joined the team, people were like, oh, my God, we're the ones who are stuck with Grayson Allen, who everybody hates, right? But when you watch him play and he's on your team, he actually does a lot of good stuff on the court. And I like his game a lot. He goes to the right spots, and the Bucks need shooters. Giannis draws in the defense so well and kicks out so well that, yeah. I mean, he fits right in. It's been a great ad. Aren't you concerned at all about the loss of P.J. Tucker, who I, I know didn't bring a lot of stats, but I mm-hmm. always felt like he was a key guy yep. for that team, yep. brought a toughness, brought a, a good yep. defensive ability. I mean, he was on Chris Paul for a lot of that series, he, yeah. the second half of that series. Totally. So I think when you look at it in a playoff series perspective, I think it'll, there could be an impact if we get to the end of the season and we, and we get some matchups where it's like, can, can people switch on the right guys? Can we get, you know defensive matchups on guys like Durant or whatever, there could be some challenges there. Mm-hmm. 
I think over the course of the season, it won't impact us um, you know, at all. I think it, the team will still be one of the top seeds in the East, even without him. Um, I mean, from a uh, style perspective, maybe. I know he's one of those NBA fashionistas or whatever, yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. I really think they're going to be just as good this year you know, without him. I, I feel like the, the addition, like I said, Allen and you know um, the other guys that they've brought in are all great defenders, and um, I think that they'll be able to pick up the slack where he left off. Plus, he's got I mean, another year in his contract. He's an aging player. I think there's always an injury risk, too, with a guy like Tucker, too, that you kind of want to try to avoid. Like, they... It's sometimes these guys in the NBA when they're like latter in their career. I feel like it's like a game of hot potato. You don't want to be the team that's stuck with them when something happens, right? And the Bucks yeah. for that magic moment had Tucker in that, you know, piece of time where there was no injury risk and you didn't get hurt and you were just there for like a specific purpose for a specific time. So you know, who knows? He, he could be available later to come back again. I've I've seen people boomerang before, but I have a feeling the Heat are going to be going to be in it. So he that ain't going to happen, you know. Yeah. So from a Bucks perspective, and and we could always pick up a guy later too, a defender. Oh no, there'll, doubt. there'll be people. And there'll be buyouts. There'll be guys, people guys that are in the buyout market yeah. who would want to join the sure. team. I still think too. Just from a strictly Bucks centric, who's who's our greatest threat as a matchup for the Bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Could you rank in your top three threats in the East from your perspective? The East, well, the Heat always there. I think the Heat have a vendetta after that blowout in the first round last year. The Heat have beat us before. Yeah. The Heat are better than they were last year. They look completely rejuvenated right now. I'd say the Heat are the number one concern for me. I think of uh, Brooklyn. I don't think, I honestly, have, after watching the way that that team I, performed, and I think James Harden's at the point of his career where like everything's falling off for him. Yeah. I, I, I think James Harden is no longer the threat that he was, especially in a playoff series. Mm-hmm. He's a zero defender. He never was. Really he, he never a, was a defender, right? So I mean, uh, it, it basically it's like you're asking me, am I afraid of Kevin Durant or anybody else in the East, essentially as a team, right? Yeah. So I think the Bucks are just so deep as a team that anybody who's built around essentially one guy doing so much as Durant would have to do in a seven game series, I don't scare me as much. Heat scare me because they're deep. And they got a lot of guys. They share the ball. They move the ball around well. Yeah. And they defend well. They're well coached. Good organization. They'll make more pickups towards the end of the year to get more depth for themselves. They've got young guys that are good. Hero, Robinson, Mm -hmm. Bam. You know, Butler's definitely in his prime of his career. Like, the the heat scares me. I, I actually... Kicking myself that I didn't take more NBA futures bets on Butler for MVP and um, <laughs> the Heat for the Eastern Conference Finals, but um, the Heat scare me. Uh, if if the well, well, let's say Kyrie comes back, if Kyrie, Kyrie, oh yeah, back. well that changes everything. I mean, Kyrie yeah. comes back, yeah. and let's say he's not aloof and right. and he genuinely wants to win another NBA title. Then that's a completely different story. Then they're ahead of the Heat. Com- completely, yes. Without but Kyrie, you got the Heat one. I had Heat one, and then I think you get the Nets at number two. And then three. And then three. Oh, for the East, I'd have to go with. At this point in time, I think maybe maybe you say the Bulls. I don't know. Yeah, that's like, what I'm I mean, to get. I feel I, well. I feel like if you look at it, the East right now, they're a yeah. top four team. The Hawks have kind of underperformed to start the season, so there's there's a question we don't match up there. well against the Bucks. That's what I'll, I'll go out and say as a Bulls the fan. Bulls, yeah, you got a big front court. You got Lopez and, mm-hmm. and obviously Giannis. You know, not only not mm-hmm. have P. Will gone, who's mm-hmm. going to guard Giannis? Yep, I think you've got some defensive problems. I think the and that's another big question too of who we fear. If Simmons goes to a team oh, yeah. that actually has their act together, he's actually kind of a buck killer because 
he back. He's not afraid to back down. He's got that in the lane floater, yeah. and he's tough to, for another guard to defend. And we're a, we're a t- tinier guard backcourt right now. We've got Holiday, and when Vincenzo Vincenzo's healthy or, or Allen's healthy, we don't have oversized guards for de- defense. When is Vincenzo coming back? Uh, probably sometime mid season he'll be back. But again, yeah. that'll be we'll see if he's even going to start at that point. Allen's been playing so well that I yeah. kind of like the, the the five with Holiday, Allen, Middleton. Um, Lopez and Giannis. I yeah. mean, I really like that five, you know, coming out of almost every game. So um, that's the one thing where we'll miss Tucker is being able to put him at the four. I mean, Portis is a suitable four, but you can't really run him and Giannis at the same time because you lose that length. You know, you kind of have to t- put him in when Giannis is not into the game. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to play him at different times of the game. That's where I think Tucker maybe being gone hurts us a little bit because we want to go to a smaller lineup. Yeah. And want to put Giannis at the five. You don't have that option right now without somebody to fill in there. Deep down, though, you're still not concerned about them coming out of the No, so I really, say they're the favorite. I think they're opinion. the favorite still at this point. I mean, like I said, I might be in, I'm, I'm a minority on this, but I think the Heat look really tough this year. So I, I, I think that they're the, still the favorite, though, in the East, for sure. Unless, until, unless until we see what something happens with Simmons, where maybe he goes to the Celtics. I saw that deal. You know, I don't know if that makes them Jaylen necessarily Brown. better. Yeah, if Jalen Brown goes to the, the Sixers, then we're talking about a good Sixers team. Yeah, you know, with Tobias Harris, Jalen Brown, Joel Embiid. Why wouldn't the, the the Nets look at a Simmons for Kyrie deal? Well, who wants I think Kyrie? Kyrie who wants Kyrie great, though? That's the with question. Embiid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, you know? yeah. Take a, aside from all the COVID drama. Yeah, of course, right? Like, yeah. that'd be a great deal. But but if you're the Sixers, do you need? You just got rid of Ben Simmons. <laughs> you know, bring in yeah. Kyrie Irving. It's like you're gonna. Well, at least he's the, gonna play. The staff psychologist. <laughs> the staff psychologist. This guy already got his yeah. hands full. You know. Yeah, I just think that you know, you got two problems there, right? But they're both uniquely gifted, excellent players. Yeah. I think that would solve the issue. I will see what happens with that. There is still a lot to happen there. I want to go back though to the Bucks because, yep. um, you know, as a Bulls fan, I think our fan base has been extremely critical. Of the previous uh, administration, who I, sure. I thought did some good things, obviously uh, in you know drafting Rose and Nell and Butler, etc. Mm-hmm. But I like to talk about the Bucks and figure out how did this organization get to the point where they were winning the title? Because didn't they make a lot of mistakes? Let's go into their three biggest mistakes in your yeah. opinion. In the but, last so before I get into that, I just want to give you a, the Bulls a little bit of love here. There's a little bit of undue hatred, you know, Bulls haters out there. You're you're a couple Derrick Rose injuries away from all that working, right? Yeah. I mean, the guy was the youngest MVP in NBA history. You could go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, you look like you were set in stone for a while with a team that's eventually going to overcome, you know, the LeBron hurdle at some point, right? Like yeah. you were looking. We were right there. You were right there. You were right there with all the best teams yeah. in the NBA, right? So you're a couple Derrick Rose injuries away from nobody criticizing that front office at all for all the things that they had done. I mean, it's true. They drafted a guy who won an MVP award. You can't do better than and that. And a guy who won Defensive Player, player of the Year award in Correct. Noah. Correct. And a guy in Most Improved in Butler. I mean, they did a right. great look, job. In they that did a period. good job. No, and Butler was what? He was the 30th pick of the draft. Yes. So you look yeah. at, you know, value to pick ratio. I mean, that's where I'll go into the Bucks a little bit, where they've been just complete blunder outside of the rabbit of the hat they pulled out of Giannis. Um, yeah. They, you know, don't don't think this was easy. I mean, we'll we'll go back to the three the three worst trades of the Bucks. You know, thing. So if this goes back to even the Kareem days, they traded Kareem for a bag of peanuts. I mean, yeah. they didn't get anything for him when they dealt dealt him. Uh, and that was the their day. last. And that they was won, their, they won a, they won a title, title and then seventy two. Yeah, and then they dealt Kareem and then yeah. for nothing because he wanted to play in New York or LA because Milwaukee was too small small of a market. So even back then, players were 
you know that was yeah, the looking thing. to get out, looking exactly. to get out of Milwaukee. But he, but he, they got nothing back for him. So that was one, you know, pass blunder they made. Then we get, you know, a, a sign from. Uh, the Lord, we get Dirk Nowitzki. We draft Dirk Nowitzki. Okay, so oh my God. so we got a German. Oh we got German in, in in Milwaukee, right? If anything, about, yeah. you know, German beer and and sausage and bratwurst, and <laughs> here we get Dirk Nowitzki. This guy, this right. is an amazing German player who ends up being the greatest, you know, European, European player of all time, <clears throat> right? Are unarguably the greatest. Uh, I think Maybe Luca eventually, eventually eventually will surpass him, but I agree. Long 100%. way to go, right? And then so we get Dirk traded in for tractor trailer the day of the draft. Even it was not even like we didn't even get a shot or anything, right? So I mean, the, all the signs are there. Just the German heritage fitting into the Milwaukee uh, culture scene. I, I just feel like that guy would have been. Uh, it's like hand in glove. And then they go to get a guy like Trailer. He eats himself out of the NBA, essentially. You yeah. Know, totally out of shape. No touch, no shot, nothing. And not only that, when you think about when Dirk was picked, he would have been, what was it, 98? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and, and that, the, the best Buck years, arguably, were Ray Allen in the correct, 2001, Correct, So imagine having him he going have, into that. Oh, he would have blended right in. I mean, the, you talk about a four, right? Imagine, imagine you know, yeah. and this is at a time when the NBA's you know, had salary, you know, didn't have some of the salary restraints and the max player this and all that that you had to deal with. Imagine, you know, you got Dirk Cassell, Glenn Robinson, Ray Allen. I mean, there's, I mean, that's just an unbelievable four. So that was a huge mistake. One of the biggest, I mean, that set the, the whole franchise back. And then the other one was after the big three has this amazing success with George Carl. Everybody in Milwaukee essentially anoints George Carl as the genius of basketball, and they allow him to make... You know, give him partial GM. They give him a contract where he's got a part of the the franchise. You know, as a piece yeah. of the equity piece, and he goes out and he makes this deal. The other deal, Ray Allen trades Ray Allen for uh, very old Gary Payton, Desmond yeah. Mason, and Kevin Ollie. Oh and God. you're talking about a guy Ray Allen goes on to go Hall of Fame, wins yeah. multiple with, titles, with has this unbelievable career in the Seattle. We went to Seattle for the Sonics that time. Went to All Star year. All team every year that he was on the Sonics, yeah. and uh, we got nothing. We got twenty eight games out of Peyton and Desmond Mason and Kevin Alley. Well, we know we no, nobody's really saying too much about that, right? So you look at those two moves between Dirk and the Ray Allen trade. The Bucks had nothing. Vin Baker with all the wheels fell off of him. That's a great great comeback story for him, where he you know went and became alcoholic, yeah. really you know, turned his whole life around. Um, but the, the the Bucks just were a mess. Todd Day, Lee Mayberry, I remember the May Day connection. They were trying to hype us on back then. I mean, just like a little bit before Glenn Robinson. But like they, they just the Bucks made such enormous errors with those two moves that it was like, are they ever going to be good? And then you know, voila, you know, and then let's even go 2008, right? So then we start looking at some of the draft picks that they've made. So it's like, how are we going to build ourselves? Because obviously, at that point, you're not going to you traded away Ray Allen, who was your only Hall of Famer you had. They had nothing, no other trade assets for. Uh, over a decade, they have n- had nothing to trade anybody oh, for anything, right? We had no young prospects, nothing. They finally get a high pick with Joe Alexander, well, TJ Ford actually. Oh, like, I remember, but then he ends up like hurting his neck. Yes, like he was good for a while, he, you know, breaks neck. So that's like a little bit of bad luck. But again, super undersized. Um, Texas, they, I think. Oh, 08, they get Joe Alexander. They pass up both Lopez brothers and Serge Ibaka for him, who were drafted shortly afterwards. Alexander does nothing. Yeah, um, total three years later, um, Jimmy Fredette draft pick. Literally, the next four guys after him within ten picks. You got the very next pick was Clay Thompson. 
Then you have Kawhi Leonard three picks later, uh, Vucevic two picks later, and then later Butler at thirty. I mean, you could have won with any of those players other than Jimmy Fredette. And I mean, the Bucks just a huge whiff on in two thousand eleven. And then you go to two thousand sixteen. They got Thon Maker because they're so they get Giannis right, who yeah. is total work in progress. They get him and he grows three inches while he's in the NBA. He turns into this freak athlete, the Greek freak. So that's the one rabbit out of the hat you got to say, right? So all these terrible moves may be redeemed by this one move. But even in 2016, we could have we could have won even faster, but we draft Thon Maker because we think we're going to hit lightning twice. Right. We try to get the Giannis, you know. And he was older, right? Older. Yeah, there was a total question. I think rumors about his age. I only had seen YouTube videos, and they still go with him. And they passed up uh, DeMontis Sabonis was the very next pick. So you look at the Bucks and some of these decisions they made, and they're literally another player away from this being expedited way quicker with the Giannis development, right? So, yeah. you know, I mean, and then even take it to this last finals. We're one, you know, foot you know, size or yeah. one shoe size of Kevin Durant from firing Budenholzer, everyone saying none of this works, potential rebuild, you know, all this other stuff, right? So, I mean, yeah. you look at that, you look at the fact that Giannis had to overcome the free throw nightmares on the road, you know, who you traded all your number one picks. We traded holiday. all these guys to get holiday, right? So we had no more we have no more trade equity, right? So like it's gotta work with these guys. And that's why I feel like this the offseason signings they made this year were they really hit it out of the park. So far hit it out of the park. I know it doesn't show necessarily in the standings, but yeah. totally that's injury based. It's they'll they'll turn this around. The the one thing you have going for them, and you guys will know this from the Jordan era, is when your best player is somebody like Giannis, who I'm not saying he's nowhere near where Jordan was, where it's like he's like operating on a matrix. Jordan was like on a matrix level thing at, by the end, where it's like he knows the refs, he knows the game, the feel. I mean, that guy, he, everything's in the palm of his hand. But what he has similar now to what Jordan had then was that work ethic and that drive, where it's like I don't see one title being enough for Giannis. I don't see him ever not being the hardest working guy in the entire team. Yeah. I, I see him generating and getting the best out of others. Now, I don't think he's going to be punching anybody in practice. And I don't, I don't see him as yeah. like, you know, that you know, maniacally crazy about winning. Like, I mean, Jordan was one of a kind that way. But when you look at what he brings to the table in terms of your best player being someone who all the other players undoubtedly know is like not never going to leave him in the lurch, always have everybody's back, always going to give his 100% every game. Yeah. That's a huge asset. And that's where I talk about Harden. There's no he's never going to be that guy. No. These some of some of these guys who are superstars in the NBA, they don't have that every night, you know, you go back to like what I think it was Jamajo or somebody, you know, every night there's some kid who's going to see me for the first time, right? Like Giannis has that where he he genuinely you can feel it like he that's that's him, right? And Which I, is special. It's special. It's just it's, it's there, and that's why I don't get concerned. You know, it's a little interesting with him too. Where I feel, I actually feel like when you listen to him speak, yeah. like he he's not a guy who's always looking elsewhere. Like, what can I do to make sure I get a title? Like Durant, all these great players yep. who you, you admire, you can't help but admire, but. He, he wants to do it in Milwaukee, which is just mm-hmm. so admirable to me. Like, I'm going to do it here. So I'll tell you what. He deserves, a, he deserves a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. Didn't play AAU. Yeah. So you look at these kids nowadays. They play basketball. We know how it is. You, know, you can play basketball when you're younger. All of a sudden, yeah. you, you learn about AAU. Oh, what's AAU, right? Oh, well, it's this thing where they're gathering up all the best kids in the community, and they put them on some special team, and they play other regions, right? Yeah. And it's this idea where it's like you no longer have school affinity, it's no longer, hey, this is the card you're dealt. This is your your district. You play for this school, and this is your team. You deal with it. These kids don't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah. So American basketball is centered around AAU, taking all the best kids, teaming them up together, 
And so you get to the NBA and it's like, well, let's just do the same thing here. Yeah. You know, or you're exactly. already friends with them. You know, I mean, you look at Bird and Johnson and, you know, these guys back in the day, they never played against each other until they were older, right? Right. Now these kids, they go to national, regional tournaments all, all year long. They all know each other. They go to camps. They've, yeah. They're friends. They're right. not enemies. They're not rivals. Johnson mm-hmm. comes in, he doesn't have any of that. He comes in and he's like, I just want to be the best basketball player. I don't, I'm not trying to be everybody's friend. And I feel like that's like the difference between Jordan era, LeBron era, and now I think we're genuinely entering the Giannis era, which is a new era where it's this global infusion that you're seeing in the NBA where guys like Luca and others from overseas where it's like maybe they're not trying to be everybody's yeah, friend. That's a good point. They're not trying to be everybody's buddy. They're not yeah. trying to team up with somebody else to make it easier. You see right. It also, with they, uh, um, you see it with some of these guys these, in Denver with uh, Jokic, with Jokic and these other players. Yeah. I think AAU basketball is not doing anybody any favors for American basketball mm-hmm. culture. I think it's it's created this situation where players feel like they have the right to make their own teams, mm-hmm. and it's not a situation with this is the cards you're dealt. Deal with it and play and try to win a title this way. Yeah. And you're seeing it that players you know who aren't doing that are are going to start succeeding. And it, I think something's going to catch on. I mean, like you said, Jokic in Denver, and he's arguably the second best player in the NBA right now. Luka's up there, and Luka's too. And up yeah. there, too, right? Yeah. So you're looking at the global infusion, and that, I think, is going to change some of the dynamics. But for a long time, I think the LeBron era will be also known as the AAU era, yeah. the constructed American youth basketball team mentality translated over to the NBA. Yeah, come play with me. Come play come, with me. Come, come, come be my, yeah. Doesn't matter, I'll go to this school, whatever, doesn't matter, we'll come play with me in it, AAU. It all changed in 2010 when he made the announcement. Correct, and, all and, that, that whole culture, yeah. the whole culture of that, and and you're seeing that now. It was the apex of it. Correct, right? I, and you'll see, I think this, this, what looks like a failed experiment of the Lakers might be the, uh, oh, the, so. the, the last, undoing the undoing of this concept, yeah. right, whatever, but... You're seeing it a little bit in the Nets, and but again, the Nets. People say, "Oh, okay, we know the Bucks got lucky there. Were we lucky, or is James Harden out of shape, and is Kyrie Irving aloof and plays basketball with half his head in the game and twisted his ankle like he does quite often?" Yeah, and you know, he's injury prone. Isn't that a little bit what you get when you go out and sign guys like that if you're the Nets? So you know, so people say we're lucky. No, maybe we just didn't go after players where stuff like that would happen to them. Yeah. You know, where they would be yeah, that Holiday type of Holiday has a proven track record Correct. Harder playing work. game after game. Correct, yeah. And, uh, Battle-tested, yeah, right? To be honest, too. It's just amazing. The, the last question I had for you is, like, when you go look back at that epic run mm-hmm. of the Bucks, which was phenomenal. Yeah. I predicted they'd win in six in the finals, so <laughs> I'm very happy. Bucks, you're a Bucks in six. I Hashtag Bucks, Bucks in six. <laughs> exactly. And very anti-Chris Paul. Uh. His kind of nonsense. <laughs> well, what are, like, the three, give me your three top, what are the three things that come to mind in that run that you will never forget that really... Oh, uh, the Powell Center around... Well, a couple of things. Like Middleton just turning it on in those games where we couldn't get it from Giannis, where it was just like... Because I had real questions about Middleton yeah. being able to really make huge shots and be that, you know, I... Robin. Pippin. Pippin to Jordan. I really had a big concern there. Uh, totally proved himself. That was huge in some of those Hawk games. He totally carried us, right? He carried you when actually Giannis was out. Out, correct. Exactly. So I remember so, that. I'll, I'll always remember that. Middleton's always be, he'll be a life for a buck Hall of Famer for me for that. That was incredible. Uh, and then the Giannis block on Aiden on the alley-oop. Oh, I mean, un- no. incredible. In- yeah. Absolutely incredible play yeah. of athleticism, the turnaround. Turning it into on an injured a, on the, leg, on an injured leg, right? Coming back yeah. from injury, and then I think honestly overcoming the free throw thing. Every game works. If you think about, I don't know. I could. I tried to think back to a player that overcame a harsher environment 
for an athlete. I mean, literally every fan in the stadium chanting, one, two, three, counting to ten. And I'll give you a little story about that to close this too, that ten, because that was a Racine guy who started that, Racine, Wisconsin guy, who's Karan Butler um, was the one who oh, brought, yeah. brought it to attention to the referees and these guys that they was taking ten seconds, which is also like, I mean, here's a, here's yeah, a, a Wisconsin yeah. native, you yeah, know, out here like this. starting yeah. this whole thing against Giannis. Um, but so you look at those three things, right, and, and overcoming the the – you know, the free throw situation and all that, it's just so inspiring. And I can't think of another athlete who's had a, a, a weirder scenario where it's like every time he's going to do a certain thing in a game, there's this thing. Like imagine a field goal kicker getting the, the yips or a guy at golf getting the yips and you just can't. I mean, he, to overcome it in real time on that stage and to make it happen like that, I've never seen anything like that. And then you look at that final game where he closed it out, 50 points, and I mean, Good lord, I've never I've never seen anything like it. No one's it's no amazing. one's seen anything like it ever. That's a great point. And no one's right. seen anything last, like it. For him to hit the free throws at that rate is yeah. is amazing. You got to remember, he's learning the game still in real time. We're watching a guy figure it out. Okay, maybe don't shoot threes this game. Figure out a way to block out the crowd. Like he's learning it all. Like in the Eastern Conference Finals, he's got to piece it together. So many other guys would have completely fallen to pieces. Like a guy like Harden and these other guys. Like completely fallen to pieces yeah, in that type of a hostile point. environment. Never would have been able to have the mental strength to get through that, to, to push through to the title. I just He's so rare that way. And obviously I'm a homer and I feel that way. But well, I, think, no I think it, there's no doubt at this point. Well, I mean, there can't be a more likable guy. I mean, here's, no, totally. here's my joke about the Bucks too. It's like Giannis is so good, we got to have two contracts to keep him happy. You know, we got Theonis on the team, who's basically like a zero. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like you play four the on, Jack Healy he's playing four uh, on yeah. five every game, right? So yeah. it's like, you know, Giannis is so good, we yeah. got to pay another guy like to be on the team. You know, he's two contracts, but so um, true. he's he's, well, he's, he's that good. Where he came from, taking out, you know, uh, Mike Dunleavy in the yeah. game six yeah, of the right. Bucks Bulls series yeah. in 2015 to go in five years mm-hmm. or six years to where he was this year. Earlier this year in the in the winning the championship, it's amazing. It's I don't amazing. think I've ever seen no one that type of pro- progression no. from a player. You're, it's I amazing. mean, you're kind of seeing some of it with like Embiid from the comeback from the injury and the fact that he played basketball but he at a later age. Skilled. He was skilled in college. People right, very good touch, right? Yeah. And he had some of that too. But he's another player that developed like late, just in general basketball maturation. Jeff, can't thank you enough for the last uh, 20 plus minutes of uh, discussing the Bucks. Of course. I wish you guys the best of luck, except when we play the Bucks. But I do respect, we'll take it easy obviously, it's impossible not to respect <laughs> the organization, what they accomplished. So it's always good to talk to you, my friend.